You're listening to The Brian and Gina Show, the official podcast of L.A. Magazine. Here are your hosts, Brian and Gina. Hey, everybody. What's up? Welcome to The Brian and Gina Show, the official podcast of Los Angeles Magazine. I'm Gina Grad. I'm Brian Bishop. And we're going to... we. <laughs> We got a lot of ground to cover today. Um, yeah. We're talking K-pop, which is something you're either insanely, intensely familiar with or, you know, like Brian or not at all. So I really I've been wanting to talk about this. There was a huge K-pop convention in L.A. over the summer, and I I, I want to know it all. And then we're going to be talking Danny Masterson. And his conviction. So we have a, a some a wide swing today. So we're this, gonna shift some gears. Yeah, this is not a show you're gonna want to miss. Um. So first, well, yeah. By the way, wow, both by the way, stories appearing in LA Magazine. Of course, uh, thank you. The, uh, the uh, K-pop story written, uh, the K-con story, I should say, written by Tamar Herman and our old favorite Michelle McPhee uh, is uh, the author of the Danny Masterson story, which. Both fascinate me for both very different reasons. Uh, hopefully, Michelle can shed some light on. She's uh, she, she's always embedded in that courtroom. She knows what goes on and uh, can shed some light on what was happening there. Yes, um, or what happened. Absolutely, I got some questions. I mean, this is this is groundbreaking. But let's talk K-pop first, um, Brian. Before we have our uh, guest on tomorrow to tell us everything about the K-pop convention and the K-pop community in general, I pulled up a list of K-pop bands and okay. I just want you to stop me when you're familiar with one of them. Okay. Okay. I will set myself back uh, two hours ago before I read uh, tomorrow's article okay. uh, and I'll go from there. Okay. Uh, or if you're familiar with any of the music from any of these people, sure. again, stop me when you've heard of one girls generation, my favorite twice. Itzy. Shinny, Mama Moo, Black Bee, H.O.T., 2AM. These are all rejected X-Men. <laughs> After School, 4-Minute, Dreamcatcher, Everglow, Red Velvet, Super Junior, Super M, N-Hyphen, and hyphen <sighs> Wonder Girls, Co-Ed School, Icon, Blady. <laughs> How many of these are spelled like words and how many of them have special characters? Almost none of them are spelled oh. the way you think. Monsta X, Tomorrow and Together. Okay. Blackpink. These are the bigger ones. Well, surely you've heard of BTS. Yeah, that, that would be the one like okay. the, your, the starter pack for right. K-pop. Kara, Black Pearl, Dia, IVE, Momoland. Wait, there's a Mama Moo and a Momo Land. Um, yeah. So, okay. So, is it safe to say that this is not a genre that that you listen to a lot in your home? It's not a it's not an area of expertise for me. Okay. Uh, maybe uh, you and or our listeners are much more up on this, but I feel like tomorrow is going to be our uh, is going to be our guide. Sort of in this ace world. in the hole. Yeah. This is when I'm on. When I'm on Instagram, when I'm on Facebook, my friends' kids and some of my friends, but the, the kids are like teenagers, are not walking. They are rushing to these concerts of bands I've never heard of. Now, have I never heard of a lot of bands that are popular right now? Absolutely. But these are not just, um, you know, niche, you know, maybe if you're in South Korea, you've heard, no, no, no. These are worldwide acts yeah, yeah. that are so 
beyond your your and my radar. It's crazy. It's it's popular enough. There's been a convention for how many years in Los Angeles yeah. that attracts droves of people. So let's welcome Tamar in, Tamar Herman, who like knows everything about the subject. And like Brian said, wrote a very uh what a fascinating article for LA magazine that yeah. kind of just took us with her into the actual convention so we could be spies in a world that like we are completely unfamiliar with. The, her article uh definitely opened my eyes. Right away she's like, oh yeah, they filled the convent the LA Convention Center and uh crypto.com arena. <laughs> and I'm like uh, uh, ignorantly I'm like, really? Yeah, incredible. Like really, really uh popular, whether you and I, old people, know it or not. Uh do we have Tamar coming in? I mean, we could vamp. I have I have more lists. Oh, good. Oh, perfect. Hey Tamar, nice to meet you and Hello. thank you for being here. Nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. And I have so, to say, I was listening to the list. That list was very outdated. Oh, <laughs> no, no, no. Oh, <laughs> Go to fooled me. Wait, the list had like um, some of those groups haven't been active since like at latest 2015. I mean, oh, a lot wow. of them are still oh, active. It's a very broad list. Oh, yeah. K-pop yeah. has been going so long that like a lot of those groups are in rehab already. They already had their yeah. their reunion tours, you know, they're going Absolutely. back on the road. Now, Brian and, and Tamar, you'll, I mean, you, you have to know this name. The the way us sort of Westerners, like not really familiar with this as a genre at all, I think we're initially, initially the first time introduced to what is it called? K-pop was Psy with Gangnam Style. Oh, we're like, sure. This is what is this called? They're like, it's K-pop. Like, oh, I've never heard. And then it kind of for for us who it wasn't on our radar went away. And then BTS and Dynamite and Butter. And we're like, oh, that's the that's K-pop. And now it's just like it's exploded in a way that even like I know who they are. So can you <laughs> just kind of give us an overview on what the genre that we're even talking about? Uh, yeah. I mean, so mostly it's just the Korean pop music scene, uh, mostly focused around what's called idols, which are essentially young stars. Uh, put together by entertainment companies, think like Spice Girls, Backstreet Boys, sure. Motown, uh, managed by either entertainment labels or individuals, but usually labels, um, trained typically for many years. Sometimes they are more discovered and then put into a company after like someone goes, like one of the members of BTS, he auditioned for a TV show and apparently his tape went around to many companies leading to him to getting like multiple uh, requests to come join their company. Uh, so it's been going on since the nineties as we know it with these companies creating different acts. Uh, also, you know, it's typically boy bands, girl groups, but there are some co-ed groups and also soloists are very popular. Mostly they're singing pop music that, you know, uh, is genre crossing. There's a lot of hip hop elements, EDM elements. Pretty much anything under the sun. A group like New Jeans is very prominent lately for integrating Jersey Club into their music. But every group kind of does their own thing and has their own. They call them their colors. They have their own little flavor and sound. And there's a lot of different aspects to them. And one of the big things is that they all try and have very dedicated fandoms that support their careers. And so that's like the big, a big major thing that kind of sets them apart a little bit differently from the traditional Western artists. Until recently, and now we, of course, have, you know, Swifties and 
So is it like, is it like tribal? Like I'm in the BTS army, so I can't be a new jeans denim yeah. lover or whatever. Crossover. That's, uh, I think you could cross over with some people don't. So that's, a, okay. that's a personal question right there. Uh, and how did, how did you find yourself in this world? Like, yeah. what, what, what attracted you? You obviously like the, uh, the genre. What, what, how did you find yourself in this world? <laughs> Uh, I became a fan when I was in high school through YouTube, um, which I think like, you know, the music you like in high school tends to stay that way for the rest uh-huh. of your life. People tend to like gravitate towards that. So as I, as I grew up, so did the industry. So over time it became something that I could actually pursue professionally. I was um, a journalist by trade. I used to work at local news in New York. Um, and at the same time that I was starting my career, K-pop was also rising. So I, I was in college when Gangnam Style took off. When BTS debuted, I was studying in Korea. Um, so yeah, so we we've grown up together. So you so you were studying in Korea, which I can imagine only yes. helped inform you, uh, you know, of this of this subject. What what brought you to Korea? First of all, uh, my degrees in East Asian studies. Uh, I was already studying Korean language, and I wanted to go and study in Korea. Um, I thought I was going to become an international uh, like. A, a litigations lawyer. That was kind of my goal. And then I decided I did not want to go to law school. I just did not want to do that. Um, so I became a journalist. Yeah, you had concerts <laughs> to go to. I, I did have concerts to go to initially. Like we always, I always tell like music, like people who say they want to be music journalists, don't just get into this team in this, to this field. Cause you like, you want to get concert tickets comp, but that is a, that is a very big, nice. Yeah, makes sense. So who was your first, uh, who was your first K-pop love which which band do you feel like you really sort of helped you ushered you into the genre uh so i don't know if they were were my first love but i still do love them and have a special place for them a group called wonder girls they had the first um uh, billboard single that rated on the hot 100 chart was wonder girls and i remember watching one of their music videos like it was it was popular enough that at the time of all people, Perez Hilton was talking about Wonder Girls. Mm-hmm. So it was, they toured with the Jonas Brothers, um, I think in like 2010. Uh, I could be wrong about that year, but it, they, they were like, a, they had a Nickelodeon TV special movie. So they were, there was already some buzz um, in the US, but it, it took a lot longer for things to really take off. Is, is the prefab element kind of a hallmark of K-pop? Like you're just going to be like, the Disney Channel over here, or you know, the, those young stars who ended up being huge mega stars, or are there ever like organic, you know, talents who come up like, oh yeah, we're all about the music. We've been a band for you know ten years or whatever. A scrappy, uh, you know, trio singing in the subway or something. So there are a few of those. Those typically end up then getting incorporated into the industry. The indie scene is pretty small and limited in South Korea. There are a lot, but it's very it's a hard struggle not to be working with one of the major labels. Um, so a lot of, mostly it's like raw talent ends up going to work at those. So like going always back to BTS, one of, a few of the BTS members were originally trying to make it. One of them was trying to make it as a producer and he made like negative money. Uh, so he realized that if he wanted to become a producer or he ended up having to go to audition to this, he ended up auditioning for the company that they're currently at as a producer. And they were like, actually, uh, so a lot of people in the industry either go one way or the other. So like a lot of. Um, you know, famous choreographers maybe wanted to be a K-pop star at first and then they didn't make it or someone in the industry realized, no, that's not your talent. Go this way. So it's very kind of like, um, 
the way we kind of think of like sports or ballet or Disney Channel was a good um, comparison. Kind of the training is part of the process, but of course you can't, not everyone can be, you know, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why I'm only thinking of Michelle Kwan and Christy Yamaguchi right now. Um, but I'm like my childhood, um, you know, not everyone could be Simone Biles. Like you have right. to, they, they kind of weed them out. And then right, right. a lot of the times they end up going either, you know, to a totally different field or now you have people who like maybe are becoming creative directors. If they were going to be a K-pop star and didn't make it or their group didn't make it or just whatever, they end up going to make their own group or something. So you're seeing a whole generation of, of, former K-pop talent or former K-pop hopefuls now creating the next generation. So it's very interesting to watch because, you know, Korea doesn't really have the whole idea of like, you know, rock band formed in a garage. Like there is that indie scene, but that scene has kind of diminished in the state of the music industry there. It sounds, it sort of harkens back here, like in the old, in the old, you know, golden age of movies. It's like you were, uh, you were signed to a studio and then that studio would provide like singing lessons and tap dancing lessons. And you're under contract with that studio to do this many movies. And it's like, we don't really think about it anymore. Like everyone's kind of an independent contractor, but it kind of has that vibe of like, you go to this company and then they will, you know, train you and style you and push you out onto the stage. Um, it's kind interesting. Of because I, I literally wrote that article a few months ago for my Substack newsletter. Oh, on K-pop oh, because, oh, this is so um, validating. Who <laughs> uh, was uh, uh, it? Olivia de Havilland from Gone with the Wind. She yeah. famously fought the studio system for uh, rights for like artists, for actors not to be signed to studios for so many years or months. And that kind of contract dispute is going on in Korea right now. So it's very mm-hmm. similar to that whole environment where you're assigned to a studio system. So instead of the studio system, you have an entertainment company. Um, and, you know, obviously like that industry, things change. So now you have artists who have been at companies who after like their initial contracts, they renew and they end up as shareholders or directors. Uh, okay. So they like kind of cha- change what their role right, is in these right. companies and end up becoming partial owners. So it's quite interesting. You mentioned the, the Substack. It's k.substack.com, the letter K. Uh, so is that, did I get that right? Uh, it's notes on, I think it's notes on K. Yeah, notes, oh, notes on oh, K. Yes, 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 notes yes. on K.substack.com. I misread it. That's yes. my old brain uh, coming back to me. Let's, uh, let's not bury the lead. So KCON, what, tell us about KCON. How many people were there? It was on the same weekend as the hurricane and the earthquake was crazy. <laughs> I want to hear all about it. Yes, I'm actually New York based and I like with flew to LA and then they were like hurricane warning and we were all just like, oh God. Um, we've, we've done this before. Um, so yeah, so thousands of people, I don't remember how many thousands attended this year and past years, they've like advertised like a hundred thousand people throughout oh the God. entire weekend between the concerts and convention. This year, there were three nights of concerts at crypto.com arena and full days of convention going along with that. There was also a free portion outside of the convention space outdoors. Uh, I think it was on Saturday. And throughout these three days, you have obviously like, you know, typical convention booths. You can buy stuff and you can see the artists you want performing during special events and interactions and panels during the day. And at night, there's full, you know, two, three hours of concerts. Uh, they've been doing this since 2012 in different iterations in the U.S. There were used to be also, um, there used to be an LA one and then a New York one. And now they don't have the New York one anymore. Uh, they also have K-Cons in Japan. They've had previously in Mexico. I believe they also had Thailand K-Cons. Like it's a big, it's like talking, saying Comic-Con nowadays, kind of right. that sort of thing. 
And in terms of uh, demographic, what what does it look like? How diverse is the crowd or is it do you find like the one type of person just cloned over and over again? I'm thinking like teenage girls like or what what is the vibe? Uh, no, when I used to work for Billboard, we tried to actually figure that out. And we asked KCON for their numbers and their numbers were actually astonishing. It's pretty much the entire demographic of the U.S. can be represented there. People fly from around the country. People fly from out of the country if their favorite artist is performing and they haven't performed in their country. There were a lot of Europeans there this year uh, because some artists were performing who haven't performed in the U.S. or Europe in ever. Uh, so people really do travel. Like I flew in from New York partially because it's a work event, but I wasn't like on my flight. There were many people going to KCON. Um, <laughs> so it's like, like literally someone was sitting next to me and my friend was like, what is everyone going to? And we're like, oh, funny you ask. Um, so yeah, so all demographics are represented, young, old, like one of my friends is from the LA area and her mom and her sister came and joined her. Like it was like a family affair for them. Um <laughs> Yeah, it's really like you'll see you'll see babies sometimes, which I'm always just like shocked about. <laughs> um, you'll see people like who are there literally like grandparents will be there with grandchildren and they're all they'll all like it. It's obviously a little bit more, you know, skewed. female skewed, but that yeah. doesn't mean it's only a female space. So it's very, yeah, very broad. Well, and just, you know, I've I've. I, I, as Brian, I know has many times, you know, been there many times for RuPaul's Drag Con and, and, sure. uh, you know, things that I love. Um, but can you just quickly walk us through a day? If, uh, if we were in there and we have our stuff and we're going in, what does that day look like before the concerts start? Yeah. So honestly, it's a really long day. Um, I ended, ended up going to the press room quite a bit and going to sit down and working on my article. Uh, but it's, it's a, they use only they use only one of the convention halls this year. In different years, they use different convention halls. So either you can go to the convention hall and walk around, and you can go, um, you know, shopping for K beauty items, or you could go and wait for the stage to see what performance is going to be next, or you can get a tattoo. One K Town tattoo parlor was there, and you could get a tattoo on the spot. Um, I've never seen that before. Uh, there were also panels, so there were panels that had like. Um, producers from popular TV shows or some groups did special events. So like the group NMIX, I was sitting in on one where they like anyone in the crowd, they had to like, they would ask like, who has a water bottle with them? And if they had a water bottle, they'd pick someone and that person would go up on stage and do some special game with them or something. Um, there's a lot of walking, there's food. Uh, people really like the food. The food is, was in a different area this year. And there's also, this is probably the biggest draw, honestly, that keeps people there all day. If, because the, if you're not there for one of the activities that's going on or one of the scheduled events, you probably could just do the whole convention in like two hours, mm. but there's also meet and greet portions. So people oh. pay extra to get into these special meet and greets with their favorite artists. I've never been in one press is always excluded because this is a special moment. Um, this year they took COVID very seriously and everyone yeah. got a wave through glass at their favorite oh, artists. In previous years, they've like got to shake hands or get autographs or just like say hi or yeah, the glass was a new one. Um, but so these people like waited online for hours to get into the meet and greet. Some of them didn't even get to like greet officially. They just had to sit and watch other fans go and wave through the glass. <laughs> it's very excessive, but people really enjoy it. People really like those special interactions. It's very important for people. And uh, so sorry, yeah, I don't want to, before we move away from that, was the meet and greet line as long knowing you're literally just doing a drive-by behind bank teller glass? 
Yep. Wow. She says yes. Okay. You're because we saw the pictures of it and it was very cute when, you know, the, the family members of, I can't remember which group yeah. it was. They were it saying, was one of the ZB1 members. Yeah. Yeah. No, I knew that. Yeah. I was going to say yeah, ZB1. Um, but in general, like you're just walking by, like you're in an aquarium and waving and there's still a line for that, eh? People, people go for it. People want to be seen by their favorite stars. People want to sure. engage with their favorite stars. They have their special moment. People love it. Right. And I guess it does move the line along. You're not asking for autographs. You're not telling your life story. You're just doing a wave. Wow. Well, see, yeah, what's the food like there? Is it uh, LA tacos or is it like uh, very Korean inspired? It'll be a mix of both. It's pretty much whatever vendors want to be there where there was like a cup ramen thing. There was ice cream. There were dumplings. There was there was a lot of stuff. For, I mean, you could always just get fries, but you could also, I think there was a taco stand. Uh, I'm trying to remember because they also had a separate section, the outdoor day. Um, and they had separate ones. People really liked oh. the, the dumplings this year. I remember that went over really well. Sounds good. The Kogi truck must have been there. That's oh. uh, Roy Choi, right? With the Korean it's, it's uh, different. It's been there different other years, but I don't know if I saw it this oh, year. It may have been planning to come on Sunday because Sunday's okay. like the biggest sure. day, the last day. But then the storm happened, so they don't have the food trucks mm. that day. The Kogi truck is the first food truck I ever tried in Los Angeles. It's great. It was it's like a, it's yeah, into like mobile real restaurant food, not just like uh, chips and and Superman ice cream. Um, so, are they planning? Do you know if they're planning on doing it again next year? Uh, there's no reason to assume that they wouldn't be doing it next year. They've been. <laughs> this has been going on okay. for. Over a decade, um, they have a whole, like, they have a down pat. Uh, you can, they have artists that they tend to promote here. So, like, the company behind KCON actually also runs, like, the equivalent of MTV in Korea. It's a channel called Mnet. And they produce a lot of groups through that show. So, like, think American Idol. Uh, so they'll bring those groups to KCON also. So they have like a lot of different artists plus their own artists. And it's a great way to promote them. Last year, they even did a special tour with like some of the younger, newer groups. It was like a rookies KCON tour, uh, throughout the country. So it's, it's definitely something that they, they do and make it really a big thing for them. So I don't, I think we can expect more KCONs. Yeah. And, and I would imagine, I mean, it's not like I, I read any news over that weekend of like, uh, mayhem ensues and, and, you know, KCON no. fans turning over cars. Like it's a pretty, it's a pretty tame. <laughs> yeah. The worst thing that happened was us all getting soaked. Yeah. And like people just being like, aw, and then like cheering when they see the person they love. Um, I know we only have another second, but how, did it initially impact the um, K-pop community and specifically BTS when people start getting drafted? I mean, their their favorite, mm. their most beloved icons have to join the army. And I've been following oh. the story because I'm so fascinated with it. Um, they're not replaced, right? They're not just yeah. turning, turning and burning these 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 kids because everyone's a kid to me now. Um, has, <laughs> how has that affected Same. the fans? You think? So it used to be that the groups tend to break up. So the boy bands groups, just the groups in general, the contracts were a very specific amount of time, seven years. That's kind of the the, oh. the time that like the regulators decide determined was enough to start a career and take off. Um, and so then they'd have to enlist usually around seven years. And it used to be that groups kind of would just break up. Then it'd be right. like the natural thing. And maybe sometimes they'd reunite afterwards. Maybe they wouldn't. Now the groups tend to circulate members in and out. Either they'll do group activities without one or two members or they'll release solo albums. Some groups 
uh, famously a group called On and Off. They all went into the army together and they ended up in like the performance unit and then they went viral because they were so good in the performance unit. So they're coming out of the army more popular than they went in. So BTS, the members prepped. So before each member goes in, they each have released either a solo uh, album or single. And then another member is being the focus now. So we're almost getting some of the members back. It's a pretty short, relatively short. When I started being a K-pop fan, it was two full years. Now it's down to about a year and a half, depending on which unit you are in. So now okay. they, they can plan it really well. They can release content that has been pre-filmed. It just has to be very clear that it was pre-filmed. It can't be anything that they worked on while they were in the military. Uh, so now they have ways to keep keep the dream going. Uh, so I think people are very much looking forward to the year 2025, which is when BTS is expected to reunite. Um, oh and, you know, in the meantime, uh, I know Jungkook is in New York right now, mm-hmm. potentially for a VMA's performance. That's not announced, but he's here. So people are assuming because the VMA's right. are this week. Um, he'll be performing at the Global Citizen Festival, another member who yep. just released an album. And so you're seeing all these groups now continue their careers longer because they're figuring out new ways to stay alive. It's so it's interesting great. that, you know, just culturally that those things are baked into the contract. And when you inevitably go into the army, here is how we're going to handle that. I find that so fascinating um, because it has to be yeah. done. They have to figure it out. It's money. Yeah, it definitely changes per group and per company. So I don't I've never looked at one of the contracts and seen exactly, <laughs> but they they figured it out because like I said, yeah, they used to just be like, that's it. But now they keep going. Tamara, right. thank you so much for giving yeah. us a look into this world that so many of us know nothing about. And then so many of us know everything about. I mean, it's incredible. Let's uh, let's let's mention, yeah. yeah, let's mention the book BTS Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and of course the uh, Substack. Well, I'll get this right this time. Notes on K dot Substack dot com. That's it. Yes, yes. Thank you. I never remember. I literally just tell people just Google Notes on K Pop Substack because okay. that will also do it. Perfect, and get that book. I mean, there if there's one group that we all know, it's it's BTS. So let's all get informed. Let's all be as uh is like cool as Tamar because otherwise we just we sound like assholes. Uh, so thank you for making us a little bit cooler, and we hope that we can talk to you again. This was great. This was great. Thanks so much for having me, guys. Thanks again. Jewelry is having a big moment right now, and with hundreds of products popping up in your feed every day, it can be hard to find a brand you trust. Alex and Ani has been creating meaningful jewelry for over 20 years, designing pieces that connect you with all of life's important moments. With an emphasis on value, there's truly something for everyone. You might be most familiar with their signature charm bangle. This bracelet literally created the category of meaningful jewelry and had you stacking charms from your wrist to your elbow. This piece is an icon for a reason. Completely size inclusive, each bracelet is adorned with a symbol designed to tell your story and express your unique style. Beyond the bangle, you'll find style stylish, affordable jewelry for every occasion, from classic pieces to bold statement looks. Don't know where to start? Alex and Ani makes it easy to unpack the trends you're after and sprinkle in your personality too. Each piece comes with a personalized message and meaning, truly making it the perfect gift. You can take comfort in knowing that you're shopping with a socially conscious brand as well. To date, Alex and Ani has donated over $60 million to nonprofits worldwide, connecting fashion and philanthropy in an easy, fun, affordable way. 
Visit alexandani.com right now to discover the confidence that comes with a perfectly accessorized piece of jewelry. Right now, Alex and Ani is offering our audience 20% off with code MIDAS at checkout. Again, head to alexandani.com. That's A-L-E-X-A-N-D-A-N-I.com and use code MIDAS at checkout for 20% off your order. You know, Gina, it occurs to me that uh, you and I being members of Press with LA Magazine could probably get uh, get into the next KCON. I feel good about those odds. Um, is this something that you would commit to with me right now on the spot? No, not at all. But, uh, all of our I, it will it will be a, a, a strong possibility. <laughs> well, as members of the press, we're also lucky to know people who actually um, can get into courtrooms and trials of the century that are uh, way smarter and, and way better at this than we are. One of our personal favorites, Michelle McPhee. We are just so honored to have you whenever we can get you, Michelle. Thank you so much for being here. I love being with you guys. And it's so nice to see Brian. Welcome back. back. Good to see you. Michelle's going to put this appearance record out of reach. Yeah, good luck, everyone else. (laughs) Well, Michelle has real, real inside uh, info in terms of like, what in the hell is going on with um, Danny Masterson? The trial was crazy. The sentencing has is is here and gone. Um, her article, Danny Masterson sentenced to 30 years in prison by L.A. judge. Um, most people know the name. He was Hyde on that 70s show and a very famous family, all the all his brothers and his sister working in TV. Um Michelle, it, talk to us. I mean, give us, you want to give us an overview and then we can ask some questions. Sure. Start at the beginning yeah. for those of my yeah. know. So Danny Masterson, wild star. I think the whole cast of that 70s show, you know, ran LA nightlife back when that show was hot in the early 2000s. Uh, you know, Ashton Kushner, Mila Kunis came out of that show, Wilmer Valderrama, you know, like really big actors came out of that show. And, you know, there were a lot of them who have maintained all along that this was this, these allegations were out of character with what they knew of Danny Masterson. So that's just a little back note. Um, it's interesting because his first trial on these rape allegations, which came decades, I mean, the allegations came roughly, you know, 15 to 17 years after the incidents occurred, according to the, the accusers. So according to the accusers, in 2001 and 2003, um, there are three women, all Scientologists, which does become relevant, mm-hmm. three women who say that Danny forcibly raped them and drugged them. One of the accusers was his longtime girlfriend, a woman that they referred to in court as Christine B. She lived with Masterson for roughly six years. And the other two accusers knew him from the Church of Scientology. And all say that in 2001, 2002, 2003, there were incidents where Masterson forcibly raped them. So he is not arrested on these charges until June of 2017. And that's a pretty long time. And it raises a lot of questions about how L.A. statute of limitations laws work. And I think Mark Garagos might be a better guest to talk about the statute of limitations or Alex uh, Kazarian, but it is odd. I mean, I've worked in a lot of cities and states and I have never seen that kind of statute of limitations on a case like this. Murder, yes. 
But on these sexual assault allegations, no. So in 2000, in this time frame, Danny Masterson is at the height of his stardom, as you mentioned, as Stephen Hyde. So these women came forward later after um, they all kind of met together on social media and they became friends and they started talking and then they decided to go to the LAPD in 2017. The longtime girlfriend went to the Austin police and made a report. The Austin police, because she was living there with her new husband, um, the Austin police contacted the LAPD and the LAPD opened an investigation and interviewed the other two women who were also former Scientologists. And they came forward with charges in June of 2017. He was brought on trial that ended in a hung jury last November, his first trial. And it's interesting to note that in that first trial, there was very limited testimony about one, drugs, because there's no physical evidence. There's no toxicology reports. Right. There's, there's nothing that could be brought forward as forensics to prove right. that anybody had been drugged. So that testimony was limited. Also, testimony about the Church of Scientology was limited. And Why second, is that? Uh, because the judge ruled initially that this was not relevant to the case. Got it. There were no, there was no proof. Okay. Um, is there, are these just vagaries of judges making decisions? Like, yes, I believe this is relevant. The jury should hear it. Yeah, it's pretty much a judge can rule on whether or not a jury can hear wow. these sorts of you know arguments. And Masterson's attorneys very strongly argued for the exact same sort of proceedings in the second trial, but failed. And Judge Charlene Alamedo disagreed and decided that it was very relevant that the Church of Scientology has a policy of not reporting their members and that there were allegations that these women were violently harassed. Uh, one woman, Christine B., said that her dog was poisoned by Scientologists and died. So there were a lot. There was a lot of very disturbing testimony about the Church of Scientology and how it handles allegations about rape. Well, and at the very, very least would answer the question, why did they wait so long to go to why the police? So I think that's very exactly discouraged. Said, Gina, that's exactly what the judge said, because it's right. the next question as to why they waited so long to come forward with these charges. Sure. They were threatened with excommunication. You know, um, there were the two other victims who were. Um, we'll just say Jane Doe 1 and Jane Doe 2, Jen and Trout and Trout. So they yeah. were, they both were prominent Scientologists. Their families were wealthy. They had given a lot of money to the church. So there was a lot at stake for them personally for get, becoming a suppressive person. Right. Now, I don't know a lot about Scientology. I learned a lot more sitting in these trials, but you can see where the alleged behavior, because the Scientology, the Church of Scientology staunchly denies the allegations from these women that they were discouraged. But we do know there was testimony that one of the girls went to the Hollywood division and talked about Danny Masterson and how she was attacked. And within minutes of her leaving the station, she got a call from the ethics commissioner of the Church of Scientology, according to her who said, you're really effed now. You talked about this to the police. And and, and there's a, and then it leaves us thinking, well, how did they find out? So that alleges connections between religious and non-religious organizations, let's say. 
Well, let's say that there, there is, it's a, a matter of public record that Letitia James, who is the attorney general in New York, she filed a scathing report about CBS and mentioned the captain of the Hollywood division by name as somebody who called CBS and warned his friend Les Moonves that there was a woman who was accusing him. And I mean, they conspired to smear this woman. The captain was now retired. So it is interesting. The timeline, it's about the same time frame. I mean, there's no mention of this captain by name, but don't think I'm not doing a big follow-up story on captain Hollywood. (laughs) I can't wait. A big component as, as, as I understand it from what I read in your article is Again, please correct me if I'm wrong because this is what I understand. Scientology as a principle does not recognize rape within a relationship. Well, according to the victim, yes. She was told that you're in a relationship with DNA. There's no such thing as rape. Okay. What was surprising to me was the aftermath and the vitriol that was leveled against Ashton Kushner and Mila Kunis, who wrote character letters. Yeah. I'm yeah. so glad. I'm, thank you for bringing that up because, yeah, Mila Kunis, Ashton Kutcher, um, Deborah Jo Rupp, Kurtwood Smith, who played the parents, not his yeah. parents, but the main parents on the show, all wrote character letters that I think were, well, according to Ashton and Mila, were supposed to be private. <laughs> and it was just to speak to his, the, I guess Danny's family asked them to write these letters to speak to his character to decide whether it's going to be 15 to life or 30 to life and to sort of ask for leniency. Is that correct? That is correct. And well, first of all, whoever told them those letters were private were out of, was out of their mind and ill-informed <laughs> because part of a sentencing memo. So it immediately goes to the judge. It didn't become released because they filed it under seal until after the sentencing had already occurred. Um, you know, throughout this entire trial, I've talked to people who know the victims. You know, Leah Remini became a big supporter yeah. of the victims yeah. publicly. And I have talked to a lot of people who grew up with Danny Masterson. And it's really hard to correlate these two people that you're hearing about. You're hearing testimony about this vicious monster who drugged and forcibly raped women at his home in the Hollywood Hills. And then you're talking to people who would swear on a stack of Bibles that that's not the Danny that they knew and that he was always the moral compass of their crowd, which is what Ashton and Mila had written in their letters. But what's insane to me is, look, you know, when, when we we live in a polite society where you can still have affection for people, even if they've done something wrong. And the hatred that was leveled at them for standing by a friend was stark because this same month, you might have seen that I wrote a story about Leslie Van Houten, who mm. is the Charlie Manson murderess. Right. This is a woman who helped mutilate a couple who lived in Las Vegas. There was a carving knife, a carving fork, excuse me, sticking out of the husband's chest. Um, Leslie Van Outen herself stabbed his wife multiple, multiple, multiple times. It was so violent that the knife broke off in the victim's collarbone. These bodies were found by the couple's young children the next day. And yet nobody is maligning the people, dozens of people, including Hollywood director John Waters. No one's talking about how they helped get Leslie Van Houten released. So it is, I think, jarring that the Hollywood hypocrisy is very evident in this particular case. 
I think you're right. Also, I think it's just tunnel vision. It's it's not even that we're, we we people want to ignore that. It's oh, I don't know. I think that happened before I was born. Anyway, I know who Ashton and Mila are. You know, we're just kind of like lazy hypocrites. And what's infuriating is they're lazy hypocrites, but also know it alls. So yeah. I've gotten into arguments with friends about well, Danny Masterson. Okay, well, you read it in Deadline. I went to the trial every day for weeks. So I mean, you know way more than I do about the case, right? And Michelle, I you you make a great point. I don't like to trump guess because it's very uncomfortable, but you went to the trial. That's very cute. I watch Law and Order SVU every single night. Mm. So I know what you did is adorable. But what I will tell you is I, and we can't stop, but, um, and they're old and we just rewatch them because we're idiots. But one of the things I, I will never forget some kid, like some 10 year old on the show is being brought up on charges for like sexually assaulting another kid. It's horrible. And of course we hate this kid and his own dad abandons him. And at the very end, probably Olivia, cause she's like the moral compass of that show says the dad, like you can't abandon this kid. Everybody's against him. He needs somebody in his corner. He's going to need somebody to be there for him. And the reason that popped into my mind is because I thought the same thing is what you said. Like, look, He's guilty. He's convicted. It's done. Now, if you want to reach back into the people who you knew once upon a time to say, like, the person I knew was our was the person that kept me from being one of those, you know, drug addled um, has been. You know, this guy was very this is who he was with me. What's wrong with that? I don't understand. It's done. So right. he's going to jail. This is doesn't doesn't affect his sentence at all. What it does yeah. is just you know, decide whether, first of all, it's an extraordinary sentence. Yes. Incredible. I've never seen this kind of time. It it really does. I think that I really do believe that his lawyers are going to have a successful appeal. This trial might be heard again because there was a lot of talk of religion and you had to wonder that I am somebody who covers crime. So in my mind, I want physical evidence corroborating witnesses, something, a police report, anything. And none of that existed in this case. This was believe the victims. Now I'm not maligning the jury for doing that. They were convincing, um, you know, Masterson is worth pointing out. And the judge certainly pointed this out that he had paid a civil settlement to one of the Mm. women, which is never a good sign. That's never a good indicator. Like a million dollars, right? Yeah. A million dollars. That's a lot of money. And she pointed out that's a lot of money if you didn't do anything. And, Absolutely. That is true. But again, we, it's very terrifying to be able to level. We, we could make allegations against anybody from two decades ago. And when we have this kind of, um, you know, knee jerk reaction in the wake of me too, I think it's dangerous. Well, I think it's interesting too, that for so many years, and I guess decades at this point, the Church of Scientology has been very scary, very looming in the shadows. Leah Remini's and, you know, Mike Rinder, certainly people who have brought it out of the shadows and exposed it saying, not only are they not that, you know, as scary as they think they are, there's not as many as they want you to believe. And so I'm wondering if this is also backlash, not just with me too, but with the Church of Scientology. Like you don't run LA, the court system runs LA. It's, it is interesting because you can understand why they become like a terrifying, looming figure. Yeah, You know, um, they're ever present in the court. 
They're very active with maligning reporters and coming after people. Um, you know, there's been more than a couple of reporters I've talked to who believe like the Scientologists are following them. So I do think that there was some uncomfortable moments learning about the Church of Scientology. Yeah. And I'm not making any judgments and, you know, they deny all the charges. But right. if, if you come for my dog, I'm coming for you. Thank you. We got a problem. Yeah, we have a yeah. problem. What is the timeline then, Michelle, going forward? I mean, you mentioned an appeal that seems like a no-brainer for Danny and his team, but what what happens now? I mean, he's sitting in a jail cell for a very, very long time before that's even heard anyhow. Um, it's interesting, too, because, you know, all of Danny's friends were bombarding me this week with stories about he has a rapist who got 90 days in jail, and here is a convicted rapist who got, you know, three months. and. Right. It's, so it's interesting this time, even the sentence feels very, very hefty. And, and it's interesting to me that no one has done, like the LA Times hasn't done a comparison story on what kind of sentencing these Me Too right. cases for high profile people are getting as opposed to rape cases in LA. So it's almost mm -hmm. like a flip, right? Where the poor people were the ones that were being railroaded into jail. And now is, is, I mean, I'm not saying this is true, but I think it's an interesting investigation. Has it flipped? Yes. That that's a great unfair sentences of being imposed upon the wealthy and, you know, well-heeled. Well, that's a great question because when I first saw that and, you know, saw it in the news the other day, I was like 15 to life or 30 well, to life. Those are the choices. And it was just, you know, I, I know nothing about, you know, I'm such an outsider and I just thought, I just, I don't recall many headlines like that. I'm just, it, I'm, this seems, this seems new to me reading a headline so like that. murderous who mutilated people is out. Right. Right. right? She is probably, so Danny Masterson will probably be roughly the same age as Leslie Van Houten if he ever sees parole. Wow. That's and you crazy. think about, you know, you think about these crimes and, and look, I do believe, Gina, I think you brought up a really good point. A lot of this was because the Scientologists shut these women up. There was tons of testimony to prove it. And I think right. that did Masterson pay the price for that? I think his attorneys are going to argue that that is the case. But I do like to tell people, and I'm not defending him. I'm not saying these victims are lying. I, you know, obviously they were traumatized. They have very compelling testimony. It was very believable. But I still say, where is the evidence? Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and to that point, um, what you put, I think in the second paragraph, like right on top of the article, I just keep thinking about it and going back to it, if I may read it. Uh, Masterson was stoic as Judge Charlene Almeida announced his fate, telling him, you are not the victim here. Your actions 20 years ago took away another person's voice and choice. Your actions 20 years ago were criminal. And that is why you are here. So, I mean, in in no in no corner, nook and cranny of her mind is this, you know, the, to, to the judge, this sounds very black and white. Very black and white. But I also think that a lot can happen in 20 years. And, you know, did he rehabilitate himself? I mean, is he a good husband and father? That's the other side of this argument. Right. So and who knew? I didn't even know he was married to Bijou Phillips. Yeah, that was news to me. Well, I've known Billy Baldwin for a long time, too. So I've definitely had a lot of people say very good things about Masterson. So it kept my I think I it kept an open mind when I was listening to the testimony to both sides of the story, which is important because we're going to lose the Me Too mo movement if we become 
um, black and white in the way right. that we approach all these cases. No, totally. I there is there is a part of me that thinks like, you know, there are people in the world walking around, you know, wearing a mask and especially and most of them don't have a multi million, however many billion dollar um, religion, corporation, entity backing and, them. Correct. And so, you know, that can certainly make it easy for you to get away with a, a couple of really nefarious things and go, who, me? So I, I do like the idea that, you know, we, we bring these things into light. But like you said, this is just a really, this is just a lot for us to wrap our minds around with no evidence. 30 to life is just, is just a lot to wrap our minds around. It really is. But, it, but it is important. He definitely had a huge, powerful entity behind him. And, you know, obviously I think this story about whether or not there was any sort of LAPD influence in this case at all is an important one because this is not the first time the Hollywood division has been accused of, of trying to smear victims. <laughs> and I think in, in, in all of this discussion, to me, that's the most glaring story. Yeah. Like whether or not Danny Masterson, you know, violently raped people at his home two decades ago. And there are a lot, there's a lot of testimony that people that's not getting reported about that would appear to, you know, raise questions about the timeline and the, the stories that the victims initially told. Mm-hmm. So what's not in question whatsoever is that victims going into the Hollywood division and minutes later getting a call from Scientology or minutes later, Moonves's office is scrambling to try to, you know, find a way to shut down the accuser. That to me is a much bigger story than whether or not celebrities behaved badly two decades ago. Right. And and how vile. I mean, obviously both are, but you think like to protect and serve who exactly like, what mm. are we doing? What is this like? What What is this? You don't that the whole point of of a, a, a you know a terrified woman who's just been you know raped or assaulted or whatever going in and then being shut down by the only people that are assigned to help is really really horrific or even worse can you imagine like someone just nodding at you like yes we have your back and then minutes later hey Les, oh, your old secretary was just here right <laughs> like are you kidding yeah. It sounds it's like a movie of me. And what's worse is that, that captain was working side gigs for CBS uh-huh. and at acting roles. They called him what? Captain in Hollywood. Yes. Yeah, so he's, I wanted to see if he has a SAG card, which would really be something. So that's my next story because I think that's really important because that's what, like, what, what was really chilling is the idea that women are not safe reporting these. And look, again, it's decades ago. and I'm sure the Hollywood division is much different now, but I still think, why aren't we talking about that? That is terrifying. Well, I'm looking forward to that story. Michelle, if there's an appeal, I assume you'll be on top of that day in and day out. Totally, day in and day out, right. for sure. Can right. we just can we just say one thing though? Who is the PR people that put Ashton and Mila in this ISIS video? Didn't it look like oh like my god? Next, it was so weird. <laughs> yeah, it, somebody was definitely off screen, like pointing a weapon at them. It, it's you know, I I feel bad for them. These are the same people that just spent how much money sending to uh, the Ukraine, and all of a sudden people are like demonizing them, like they're not really in the limelight right now except when they're donating money like eh, eh, what are you gonna do 
You know, like they just, it's like, it, it, no, like we keep talking about black and white. Nobody's one or the other. Like these, we were just cheering them for sending all of this money to Ukraine. Like, can we just keep that in mind? It, but I, that's what's so weird and scary. It's like this, we, somebody gets a target and then the whole world is out to just like, it's like the Salem witch trial. You're well, now that's a thing. You're now yes. a witch. And it's like, we all get it. Like if I was Danny's friend or if I was that, I go, oh, no, make no mistake. You're screwed. What does your family want me to do? Like write a letter about how you were when we were on set 20 years ago. Okay. I mean, you're screwed. And I don't, I don't love what I heard. But if you, if I'm supposed to write a letter about how you were on set 20 years ago, okay, I guess. It's like, they're not defending, like, I was there that night and these women are liars. It wasn't that. It was, he always, he always greeted the crew nicely. That's what I can say about him. But there were a lot of letters from very high profile people that involved a more recent Danny. So there were definitely people in his corner. And so I think that those voices matter too. Like if we're going to believe all women, we should also take a look at what women around him today is saying. Sure. Sure. Um, this has, we've never seen this behavior. He's never been disrespectful to women. Like we've never seen this. Right. So maybe consider this one sentencing, you know, or, or apparently they didn't. Right. Um, It it was, it was certainly an interesting case and it's going to be talked about for a long time because it's so challenging, right? With the, the statute of limitations, the evidence and the actual sentence itself. Under the cloud of Scientology, which has become a big public mess, which everybody is just like reels at. So I, I think it's a, it's, it's an interesting discussion to say the least. Yes. I imagine it will be taught or brought up in multiple legal classes in, in university. Um, one last thing that you may have absolutely no interest or knowledge of, but I have to ask anyway, any thoughts about Ruby Frankie? Have, I don't know if you've been following this story of this woman who's uh, I, I, she just came on my radar. Uh, this um, YouTube star, very controversial, the way she parents her kids and a little people thought like a little militaristic and not great. And she's just been arrested, um, as is her friend, I think, Jody Hildebrand for child, multiple counts of child abuse. Oh, wow. I mean, she was a. Uh, I, I I didn't know if this had been on the radar or not, just because I I can't stop seeing it wherever I go. She you know withholds food from her kids, and she's like you know if you don't like it, that's just how I do it. And one of her kids escaped through a window with duct tape on his wrists and on his ankles. And anyway, oh, it's yeah, just that's abuse. That's child abuse. Yeah. So anyway, I didn't know if that if like talk about kids. This her kids have duct tape on them, and she didn't get arrested before now. No, and and, what is wrong with people? How do people watch stuff like this? This is insane to me. Yeah, the reason why I brought it up was I was thinking about Scientology, and they're connected to some inner Mormon sanctum, allegedly called Connection with an X. Yes, yeah. So that's why. Yeah, the Mormons. You know, (laughs) I I went on a deep dive with the Mormons. We talked about it before. That's yeah. That's that's the only reason this this popped in. Not the Mormons, but particular. We should these inside. Yes, these inside <laughs> sanctums. Um, anyway, you, you are the madam mistress, uh, goddess of, of all things crime, especially here in, uh, Los Angeles and in Hollywood. And we thank you so much for spending your time, um, making us a little more knowledgeable. 
I love seeing you guys back together and I always love being on the show. So thanks for having me. Thanks, Thank Michelle. you, Michelle. Everyone always look for Michelle, uh, all of her incredible articles on LA Magazine and lots to come. We always know there's n- you're never just off. You're always working on something amazing. Which is fine, right? It's never boring. Yeah. No, never. Um, thank you so much, Michelle. And thank you so much to all of you for, for sticking around and, and making your brains a little bigger. We'll talk to you next time. Thank you for listening to The Brian and Gina Show. To get in touch with the hosts or buy their books, hit them up at at baldbrian and at Gina Grad on Twitter and Instagram or by email at podcasts at lamag.com. To get connected with LA Magazine, hit them up at at lamag on Twitter and Instagram. Talk soon. 